The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. I'm super excited today. We have a guest that I've been following for quite some time online. She does professional dog training out in the Chicagoland area, and she also does some canine entertainment. Today, we have Rachel Sample joining us, who is the owner of Diamonds in the Rough. But first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. Can I have my pig, please? I have to hand you the pig? My God, what's happening? All right, reach over. All of a sudden, Mr. Sixfoot doesn't have long enough arms. If you guys are on TikTok, I want you to check out Rachel's TikTok page. It's at Rachel Sample. She posts a bunch of cool stuff of her dogs doing things, fosters doing things, some of her dogs that she has in for training. Um, and I really think that she's making a difference here. She's working out of the Chicagoland area primarily as a pet dog trainer. So if you guys are in that area and you're looking for help, please contact her because I'm really big on connecting our viewers and listeners with people who can actually help you. And I think Rachel is our first Illinois guest, which I'm super excited about because I'm from Lombard and let's Go Illinois. So Rachel, <laughs> welcome. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Hi guys. Good All right. to be here. I'm happy to be here. Yes. All right. So tell us a little bit about just your history a bit with dogs, um, rescue. Just give us a little intro about you and what you do. Yeah. So I actually started um, showing my own dogs when I was six years old. I started with a Shiba Inu. Uh, it was our pet dog before my parents let me get my first Border Collie. And from there, we kind of took off and I showed him in agility and dock diving and frisbee all through high school. We went to AKC Nationals in Florida and we did all kinds of local Skyhounds competitions and dock diving and fun stuff like that. And then I went to college and I went for a semester and I decided that that it just wasn't for me and I wanted to do dogs. Like I wanted to do dog stuff. I wanted to train. I wanted to help. And um, the people that I met through showing in high school, they offered me a job position and I Learned under a bunch of different trainers for about five years. I worked at Animal Control for a little while, and then I opened up my own business. And uh, the whole time, I've been showing my own dogs and have had the opportunity to do shows in California and, I mean, all over Minnesota and Illinois, Wisconsin, basically all over the U.S. doing shows. We were just out in Colorado doing shows, and um now I'm here and I have my own business in Chicago. That's awesome. I didn't realize that your foundation was Sheba. That's pretty tough dog as yeah. a kid. <laughs> you, were, you, weren't doing, you weren't doing dock diving with the Shiba, right? No, no, I not so. I would like to see that. That would be, that'd be quite a show. Yeah, we started in 4-H with him and I did confirmation and a little bit of agility. I managed to get him through the course, um, yeah. but you know, he definitely was not bred for anything much more than just laying around the house. <laughs> yeah, they're a lot more independent. I've worked with quite a few of them over the years. Yeah, I'm impressed. That's a good breed to start with. So you've done a lot of the show stuff. Um, you did even like some cool halftime shows. You did some bigger gigs this past year, right? Yeah, we did the NFL Vikings game. Oh, we cool. did uh, we did UK, the University of Kentucky. We did uh, their halftime show. We just did Loyola in Chicago um, about three weeks ago. So awesome! It's, it's a ton of fun. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so she does awesome stuff with entertainment. Um, if you guys have a chance to see her with her upcoming shows, I want you to definitely check that out. We can talk about that later. But really, you're doing a lot with helping rescue in the off season now too, because this is the thing about Canaan Entertainment. You know, fairs and stuff, theme parks and everything. They get 
going in the spring and summer, and then there's an off season, unless of course it's a pandemic and then everyone has a really long off season. Um, so yeah. you've been doing a lot to kind of help out rescue and work kind of hand in hand with some rescue. So could you point to that just a bit? Yeah. So my training company is called Diamonds in the Rough because I'm a big proponent for fosters and rescuing dogs. And um, a lot of the people in the canine entertainment industry pull foster or pull dogs out of rescues and shelters and they they use them in their shows. Um, and so that's kind of where the name came from, uh, pulling diamonds out of the rough, right? So I do a lot of work. I, I foster with a couple of rescues here in the Chicagoland area um, to help you know, find them homes and rehab them. I do a lot of behavioral cases and it, you know, it's, it's very rewarding. It's, it's very difficult. Uh, there, I deal with a lot of dog, aggressive dogs, uh, people, aggressive dogs, dogs that would probably be put down without some, some really intensive help. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that work. And you're helping these dogs sometimes even get connected with owners, right? Like, I feel like I saw some pictures of like, Oh, like so-and-so got a home recently. Like you're really kind of helping the dogs on their journey, right? Correct. So the rescues help me, you know, network the dogs, but I, the dogs that I have, they're not, like I said, just normal fosters. They're usually dogs with a lot of problems. So it's important that we match them with homes who are aware and can handle the dogs moving forward. We want to make sure everyone's set up with, you know, for success. So, um, I usually am vetting these owners or even doing follow-up lessons with them, with these dogs. Yeah. And and, go ahead. It's a nice foundation to get a, to get a rescue that's been living with a dog trainer for a period of time, because quite often the foster situation is like a daycare and these dogs are still, they're still doing a lot of getting a lot of bad habits at the foster because the foster is just feeding them and kind of loving them, but not creating a structured environment for them, you know? Yeah. That's a good point. Correct. Yeah. We see that all the time. So the rescues that you're working with, you said you have a few that you network it with. And like you're going out of your way, I feel like, to help, which thank you again. And I appreciate so much. And there's not a lot of people in the country that are doing that. You know, there's people that are working within rescue, but you're literally like stepping outside of your pet dog business, stepping outside of your canine entertainment schedule and really helping. Have you gotten some pushback from certain rescues as far as like working with them? And what does that kind of look like? Yes. So I am a balanced trainer and I'm very open about that. Um, I use a lot of positive reinforcement, but there comes a time when you need to use tools like e-collars, prong collars, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the rescues that I have tried reaching out to or fostering dogs with, they will turn me away because they see a prong collar or an e-collar on my page and they're very against using tools. Um, And I understand that. um, But I do think that it it can be detrimental to some dogs. I've, I've worked with a couple of dogs out of rescues who these parents have come to me asking me for help. Um, but they are terrified to use tools on their dog because in their contract, they will actually repossess the dog if they find out that you are using tools. And these are people who are struggling with, you know, severe dog reactivity or other issues that could very easily be fixed with the tool. And I've had a couple clients where we've worked and managed through these problems, but they will not post anything online of, of their, the prong collar that they're using or the e-collar because they are terrified of getting their dog repossessed. And I mean, on top of that, the fostering situation, I've seen people who've had fosters who I've successfully worked with. Um, but once they find out that they're using tools, the dog, they, they make them take the tools off and the dog regresses. And I've had a couple of cases where the dogs are actually put down rather than just using the tools. Um, and the dog was fine with the tools, but they, these fosters don't have, you know, they don't have much of a say and they can't use the tools. And 
and the dogs were, you know, rather than using a tool, they would, they would just put the dog down and it's really unfortunate and it's really hard. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine that because we're trying to help get these dogs who don't have homes into homes and rehabilitate them with whatever means possible. And Scott and I are both openly balanced trainers as well. Scott's been a balanced trainer for 20, 25 years, probably that at was, this point. That was my introduction to dog training yeah. was using tools. And that was the way I, that was the foundation of my training. Yeah. And a lot of the dogs that we have as clients, you know, we know rescue with what we're hearing from our clients in New England, right? So we get dogs that are coming up from the South and rescue, and it's just kind of hearsay. And then we're seeing these dogs, but you're actually working in the field and getting some pushback. And it's just so sad to me that we would choose to euthanize a dog over rehabilitate a dog and give them a loving home that wants to, you know, give them a full life. It's, it's kind of upsetting. Yep. And a lot of the rescues, I mean, they do their best. Even the rescue that I work with now, they, they do their best. They, they let me run with it. Right. So they trust my opinion. They value my opinion. Um, and they, they know that I'm experienced and I've, I've worked with a lot of different cases and, and they've seen that and we've rehabbed a lot of their dogs and, and successfully found them homes. Um, but a lot of rescues, they're not trainers. They're not even really like dog. They don't people. really even understand. Yeah. They're just people yeah. and they're doing their best, but some of them don't even understand like what they're looking at when it comes to like a breed, they're, they're mislabeling breeds and they're mislabeling like dog aggression or whatever. And it's not always out of a place of, of, um, you know, a place of negativity. Like they're not trying to do that, but they just don't know what they're looking at. Now, some rescues though, will, they'll totally mislabel breeds just because they don't want them to have pitbull on them. Yeah. Um, which is, which is not good because you know, it's, it's not all about how they're raised a lot. A lot of times breed matters and, you know, it, it always matters when it comes to labs, like, you know, labs hunt, right? Border collies herd, but pit bulls, they don't, it's all about how they're raised, right? It's all yeah. of a sudden all the breed goes out the window. So it's important that we're labeling to the best of our ability, but again, not, they don't always know. So, you know, when I'm reaching out to these rescues and they, they don't know what's best for the dog and they think they know what's best for the dog, um, it's really harmful for them. You know, like I, there was a cattle dog I tried to, um, take, it was a puppy and they just assumed I was going to put a prong collar on it. And I was like, no, I just want to s- try to get the dogs into sports, which yeah. is what you guys have posted. I'm like, I wouldn't put a prong collar on this eight week old puppy. And they're like, well, we can't foster out to you because we know you use tools. And I'm like, I have a great network to get this dog into a, a probably agility or a Frisbee home. And they and they just ghosted me. And I have no idea what happened to the dog, but it's like, it's sad because they, you know, they're not dog trainers. They don't know what's best for the dog. Cattle dogs are a hard breed and yeah. they, they thrive off of structure and a lot of them do need tools. And granted, I mean, I'm not even going to put a tool on this puppy. Like who even says I'm going to do that, but it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Like, well, they just shun you. Yeah. I had a similar story about 10 years ago. I was training uh, dogs for bed bug detection and okay. I was selling them uh, to exterminators. That was the, the plan. And so I went to the local animal aid and I said, Hey, I'm looking for a, a drivey dog, not too big that I can, um, trained to seek out bed bugs so that they can work locally In around the, the Boston area. And they refused to allow me to adopt a dog because they only were looking for forever homes. And I said, the dog is going to get a ton of training and someone's going right. to pay a lot of money for this dog. They're not just going to leave it on the side of the road. It's going to be a dog that has a job that's working on probably three to five days a week out in the field. And they just shut me down. No, you can't, you can't have a dog. We only want someone that's committed to a forever home, you know, which I had no problem. Like I found dogs on Craig, Craigslist. I was looking for 
I didn't want to start with a puppy because it takes so you know it takes a while to get a puppy mature enough, and mm-hmm. they, they may and not at, they may not at have that the, point. Yeah, yeah, they may not exactly. be right for the job. So uh, you know, I just wanted to you know take a tennis ball in, evaluate some drives, and and then and again back to the tools. There's no tools needed really for a re- for a detection dog. You don't need you. It's okay if they're pulling and searching and whatnot. You know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do think this lack of knowledge that we're talking about with some rescues and then even the misrepresentation that you touched on is an issue right now in this country. We have a lot of dogs without <clears> homes. <throat> and the more we are, you know, one upfront about what's actually happening and the more we're helping to educate them and trying to help the process of moving dogs into home, I just feel like it's a win-win for everyone. I don't understand why there's so much resistance sometimes. Well, yeah. And and it's, and it's sad because they, you know, there's quite a few rescues in the Chicagoland area where it's in their contract that you cannot use a a force trainer or a force trainer, a trainer that uses tools. You cannot use any tools on your dog at all. And it's so misleading. And, you know, these owners are terrified to like give their dog a correction. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, they're dogs. They, they, people are humanizing them so much that they're, you know, it's, it's really bad for them. It's not in the dog's best interest. You know, they need, they, sometimes they need crates, right? It's safer for the dog. Sometimes they need a correction. They, you know, some dogs are pushy. Some dogs are, you know, even aggressive, whatever they need structure, they need boundaries. And for these rescues to be like feeding the public, like how bad these tools are, it's really doing the dogs at the end of the day, a disservice. Yeah, The, the dogs wind up just going out and coming back, going out, coming back because they're, I've seen they're, so many. Yeah. They're being destructive at home. They're not using a crate. Uh, they have a lot of anxiety. There's all kinds of issues. It's not being addressed in a way that is going to make an impact and then they, the, well, peop, the people try and then they just bring the dog back, you know? And I've, I've seen that a lot where I come in and they're, they're like, well, the rescue won't let us use tools. And I'm like, all right, well, we'll do what we can. And, you know, realistically it, it might work, but it might take three or five years and a lot of management. And that's not what the average pet owner is set up to be able to do. And it's not right? what they, they want. They didn't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They didn't sign up for that. And a lot of rescues are lying about the dog being good with dogs or being good with kids. And then they adopt this dog out that's, you know, attacking their kid or their cat. And, but then they're not allowed to use tools or crates. And it's like, well, what do you do? And the dog ends up getting returned and then it's just a vicious cycle. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's really sad to see. Yeah. And the other thing that kind of sucks is that people wind up even going out of their way to rescue a dog that has already been in five homes. Because they feel like, oh, you know, this dog, uh, for some reason, they feel like they're the people that are going to help this dog. You know what I mean? There, mm-hmm. There's certain types of people like that, that they get the worst dog in the shelter. Yeah. Well, I, I think <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> to each their own. The but, most difficult dog. Yeah, I, feel like, I feel like rescue sometimes is inhibiting their own success when they're doing these types of things and putting up these roadblocks. And, you know, dogs that have had five homes have a lot more history of doing different things to get out of different behaviors than a dog that, mm-hmm. you know, just comes from one home to another or a puppy that comes home. You know, they're learning a lot more as time goes on. So I feel like it's giving rescue a bad name sometimes. And I hate that because we are very pro-rescue and I've had rescues before and we promote rescues and we train rescues. And it's not that rescues are bad. We We have have two rescues in the house now. We live with two rescues right now, but sometimes it just feels like people are like, I don't want all the red tape. I don't want all the minutia. Like it's too stressful. I didn't know it was going to be this much. And then maybe they choose not to get a dog or they do choose to get a dog from a breeder. We're seeing that a lot more now that they're turning away from rescue. And the more accessible and the more we can help, I just don't see why that isn't the answer personally. 
Correct. I, I 100% agree. And, and it, and it's making it really hard for these dogs to be adaptable. Yeah. And the owners. You know? I would say that the couple of rescues or locations where rescues seem to have their head in the right place is, um, down in the Virgin Islands and like Puerto Rico and the U S Virgin Islands, where you can go down there on vacation and you can walk, you can take a dog from the local animal shelter they need people to walk the dogs. So you can go down there and walk the dog around, get a feel for the dog. And then you might even develop a, develop a bond with the dog and take the dog home with you. And they're happy to like send these dogs off because they only have so much space on the island and they're trying to rehome these dogs. Mm-hmm. And quite often these dogs are pretty well behaved. They're not really crazy. They're kind of, because I think a lot of their life was spent on the street or not being coddled and made crazy, they're kind of fairly balanced dogs. And they come up here well, yeah. and they do pretty well, you know. And that and that's the thing about other countries. I, I don't have a ton of experience with, with that, but we do have a couple of dogs who come in from like Mexico or whatever. And um, you know, I'm I'm assuming here, but when I hear about other countries or I hear about people in other countries, they don't humanize the dogs. Right. They treat the dogs like dogs. You know, there's a lot of issues in especially in Chicago. Oh my gosh, you can't walk through Chicago without someone petting your dog without someone's dog rushing your dog. Um, it, it's just what it's like in, in the city. And it's so bad for the dogs. It creates this environment of constant seeking attention, right? Because every corner they turn, someone's giving them attention. A right. dog's giving them attention. So it's basically teaching these dogs to be super excitable on the street right. um, versus other countries. You know, they're they're ignoring the dog. They're treating the dog like a dog. And you know, that's what I feel like Americans want. They want a balanced, neutral dog, but they, they don't want to correct anything. They're treating their dog like a human and they're making them overexcited around people and dogs. And then they're wondering why their dog's barking at the end of their leash, trying to go say hi to everyone and everything. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I agree. And I think also the genetics when they're from other countries are a little bit different too, which is another thing to sure. unpack. But yeah, whatever. It's not that rescue is wrong. We're not saying this at all, but it's be mindful of where you go for rescue. And when I think of rescue, it's just like this big like kumbaya group hug. We're all trying to help dogs. And when yeah. there's these different facets of rescue, that is concerning me a little bit. All right, let's go to break super quick. And when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about rescuing. Keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to The Madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. All right, we're back with Rachel Sample from the Chicagoland area. And we're going to talk about some fun stuff here in a sec. But I did want to just touch on this euthanasia topic, too, because it's a big deal and it's happening a lot in rescue. And it is not that dogs should not be behaviorally euthanized. I mean, Scott and I understand that there are certain cases and there are too many dogs out there and not enough homes. And there are certain dogs that are in loving homes that are dangerous and should be put down. It's not that we're against behavioral euthanasia, but it seems that this trend of either, you know, we don't want to put a tool in the dog, so we're going to put our dog down or even euthanizing dogs at a young age is kind of on an uprise. Have you seen this? Yes. Um, actually, so one of the worst cases that I've ever seen was I used to work at a facility and this girl worked for, uh, she fostered with one of the rescues who are all force free and they pretty much all work with pities. Um, and, uh, she had like a 10 week old pit bull puppy that she said she was really struggling with. She was, um, like interning and, and learning classes with us there that, and I was teaching the classes and she brought this puppy and we said we'd help evaluate it and see what was going on. She said the dog was extremely aggressive. 
Um, and she was concerned for, you know, and I was like, all right, if a 12 week old pity puppy is aggressive, it probably does need to be considered for euthanasia at that point. It's really young to be showing signs of aggression. That's not normal. Right. And so she brings the puppy in and we're playing and it's, I, it's literally just toy drive. The dog is just playing with the tug rope and this girl is terrified of this dog. And I'm like, this is really normal behavior. This is just puppy. And you know, that kind of goes back to what I was saying. Um, you know, a lot of fosters, they aren't trainers. They don't know what they're looking at. They're not skilled. This, this was just a pity puppy playing with the rope. You know what I mean? And she's terrified. And the dog's like gnawing, nipping at her in a puppy way, not, not an aggressive way at all. And she's like, see, look, oh my gosh. And she's feeding into it and everything. And I offered to take the dog from her and I got denied because I was actually leaving that company because they were a force free company. And I had decided to take my own route at that point. And, um, I was finishing up my classes there and they denied me from taking the dog because I use tools. And a couple of weeks later, uh, they ended up putting that little 10 week old puppy to sleep for being aggressive. And it, it killed me because I mean, there's no reason that that dog should have been put down. I mean, it was a baby. It was normal puppy behaviors that these people just had no idea what they're even looking at. And coming from someone who has experience and works with sport dogs, with drivey dogs, yeah. I see it all the time. Yeah, you sure. know, and it's just, oh, it's it's awful. Yeah. I would have taken the dog. That yeah. dog would still be here. Yeah, you know, that puppy was just living its genetics out. Yeah, I had a similar story when we had our facility in Mass. A rescue called me to evaluate a dog that had aggression, and I said, mm-hmm. "Bring the dog down. No charge. Let me just see what you have going on." And the lady, the foster, brings the dog and then the, the owner of the rescue. They both come together with this dog. And the dog was like, started jumping on the, the foster mom, woman. And so she just immediately like crossed her arms, turned her back to the dog. And then the dog started grabbing at her sweater and was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like, Escalating. hey. Yeah. Escalating. And she's like, look, look, yeah. the dog's attacking me. And I said, the dog isn't attacking oh. you. And I put a little control on the dog. I said, yeah, the dog isn't that bad. The dog, I mean, I don't see this big problem that you're talking about. And they said, okay, well, thanks. And I, I worked with the dog a little bit. And then I got a, a letter, a card from them thanking me for their time and that they had to put the dog down, which really sucked because like the dog wasn't showing any aggression at all. The dog was just not Playing. having it. And, and they weren't putting any kind of control on the dog at all. And the, mm-hmm. what they were using as a methodology, you know, they believed in. They weren't going to do anything different than what they were doing. And yep. so the dog didn't get any better. In fact, it was getting worse. Yeah. The dog was made. Yeah, you know, because it's self-rewarding. Yeah. And the dog was just repeatedly activating the people and the people were getting more reactive to the dog jumping and biting. And yeah, it's a mm-hmm. shame, you know, so it does happen and all I- the time. Yep. I had another case. Uh, after I left that facility, I was working at a different facility and, uh, one of our clients, she fostered through a a different pity rescue who was also force free. And, um, she had this dog and she really valued my opinion, but she did work and foster through this force free, uh, you know, rescue. And she brought this dog in and she said, is there anything you can do for this dog? He's attacking my other dog. And a lot of it was around the fence in the backyard, right? The other dog would come out and then her foster would go and, and they'd all rile up. And then the dog was redirecting on, on her dog. And she's like, I'm going to have to give him back to the rescue. He's attacking, you know, my dog. It's a problem. And I, we did some e-collar work with this dog and the dog was fine. Dog was great. And the rescue found out 
she like they were having great success at home. The rescue found out that she was using an e-collar uh, and she made her take it off the dog and the dog regressed and the dog got put to sleep about a month later. Yeah. Yeah. And I worked with that dog for about two months at this facility and it was just heartbreaking because he was fine. Yeah. He was totally fine. He just needed to come down from that escalation, you know, and, and it, he was only getting into these fights because the, the friends fighting was such an excitable thing. And then he's redirecting on her dog. He had no other problems. Yeah, no, it's so sad. And when these people, uh, you know, they're committed, they want to give this dog a nice home, that it's working well, no one else should be able to speak on how you're handling things at your home. If it's working and the dog can live and everyone's happy, right. that's great. So no, and I do think the lack of education is part of it. And I do want to point to, did you see that one? Um, pity breed, I don't know, like last year where the dog just was like crazy on the rug and then it ended up with a decoy. Did you see that? The story? Um, yes, yes, I did. And like that, and there, there can be good there, but that was education. Like that rescue, like saw, Hey, everybody was like, that dog is over the top. That dog cannot be in a pet home. And the last I saw that dog is like thriving with an IGP decoy. Like it was just so heartwarming to see. And we're with you. Like we're seeing these situations where we're pouring our hearts into these dogs. And when then this dog now either can't use these tools or is being euthanized because it's being denied certain things, it's heartbreaking, right? Because we see how great these dogs can be and what the potential can be like and everything else. So if you are going into rescue and everything else, when looking at rescue, I would say a more open-minded rescue, a more honest rescue, talk to some other people about, have you dealt with this rescue before? What has your experience been like? And really get a good handle on things before you get committed because nothing is more heartbreaking than having to bring your dog to the vet to get euthanized or bring it back to the shelter and have that dog keep getting tossed around like a hot potato. You know, it just sucks. Yeah. I've seen, yep. it seems like it, it definitely is political where you, if you have a rescue that is a part of a bigger organization and they have, you know, adopted a methodology for all of their locations, this is the way to do it. And it makes, it puts them in a good light because they, they're advertising that they don't harm dogs in any way using these, you know, medieval tools. Everybody likes that. It sounds great. But it the bottom, great. the bottom line is though, these dogs uh, that they don't have a, a means of getting them under control and getting them socially acceptable with their behaviors, the dogs are the ones that suffer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And give us an alternative option then. If this is what yeah. you're promoting, then show us the And the other, thing, the other thing that sucks about that is if, in my opinion, if it's a no-kill shelter, which a lot of them are, uh, and they, these dogs get returned, then theoretically, they should not be able to take another dog within, say, three years of being open because all the dogs they have are not adoptable because they have aggression, and yet it's a no-kill shelter. And then you find out they do keep sending these dogs out that shouldn't go into people's homes just because they're making room for new dogs coming in, which is unethical by itself. Well, and I do know that the no-kill is is a little bit... um wishy-washy. I, I, I can't, I'm not for sure on this, but I think that if it's a behavioral euthanasia, it's not considered a kill. Like right. it's not, yeah. it's not right. So, you know, a lot of these force free are, are claiming they're no kill, but you know, then they, they'll behavioral youth anything that doesn't work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, yeah. and the public just doesn't know about it. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're here like you to help the dogs and that's our main mission. And however we can help dogs, let's help them. Let's get them into homes. Let's get these dogs wagging their tails. Let's get these owners loving their dogs. I want to talk about the dog laying behind you real quick. So is that Flynn? Is that your dog's name? Yeah, this okay. is Flynn Ryder. So tell us about Hi, Flynn, Flynn, because Flynn is a total badass, and the few little footage I've seen of you guys has been amazing. So tell us about your journey with Flynn. 
Yeah, Flynn is Flynn is the reason I'm here today, like where I'm at today. He is awesome. He really took me from just playing disc in my backyard to the next level. So I, like I said, I was playing with my border collie for a long time. And I mean, he was good. He was great. And then I got Flynn and I, I really learned what great was. I, I was looking for a sport mix and he's, he is everything I could have asked for. He's great in the house. This is what he does all the time. <laughs> he's great in the house. He's got no, no issues at all. And when he's on the field, he gives a hundred percent. Um, last year was his like first big year. He's only, he just turned three. So last year was his big year. And he, uh, he just wowed me in dock diving. He, he only did one dock diving competition last year and he jumped 30 feet off the dock, which That's is amazing. really yeah. blows me away. Yeah. Um, and he, he qualified for every national, <clears throat> uh, championship you can qualify for. He, we did USCDN, we did AWI, we did Skyhounds and he, he did great in all those events on top of, uh, that's what got us into the the entertainment world. So they scout you by, uh, Success, you know, what you're yeah. doing and yeah. yep. And, and so we did the period incredible dog challenge last year. We, uh, we ended up making it to the finals, uh, in Missouri and we ended up placing, oh, I don't even remember. I think it was fifth, fifth place at the finals, which I mean, nothing crazy, but it, it's been my dream since I was a little kid to be on Pure and Incredible Dog Challenge and to be able to make it to finals. They have regionals and we we made it to the finals. It was just awesome. So I'm crossing my fingers. We get invited back this year for that. That would be awesome. If not, we'll, we'll try to give it another go and qualify this year. Yeah, that's awesome. And the dog has amazing hops and the little bit that I've seen <laughs> of your routines and stuff. It's just awesome. And I have a little soft spot because you have your cowgirl hat on and I always used to compete <laughs> to the, the Dixie Chicks. So I'm like, oh, Rachel's my girl. But literally, if if you have not seen um, Rachel and her dog Flynn, there's some stuff on TikTok, and you do amazing things with all of your dogs. Honestly, what is Flynn as a sport mix? Is it a border? Is he a border whippet or? Yep, he's a border okay, whippet. So you have a Malin whippet or something right now or something? Is that a thing? So I, I I've become a sport mix collector. I think <laughs> <laughs> I love them. I think they're awesome. So I have my border whippet Flynn. Uh huh. I have my Mal Whippet Firefly. She just, she's almost a year. She'll turn a year next month and she's going to do some awesome things. She's, um, she's still maturing yet, but she is the most athletic dog I've ever owned, which says a lot because this yeah. dog right here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that Mal Whippet, I am just pumped to see what she does next year when she's, you know, really start able, you don't want to work sport dogs too much until yeah. they're about a year old. So, yeah. um, and then I also have a Malinois Border Collie mix. I just, uh, I just adopted him about two months ago. He's going to be my next disc dog. He is just so awesome. Um, so get ready to see him this year. (laughs) And then I also, my first rescue ever, I have no rescue dogs in my pack yet because it's, it's hard to find a rescue dog that has the, the body to withhold the sports that I do, the drive, all of that. So I've, I've fostered and I've kept my options open. I, I've had a couple dogs who I, I thought might work out who just, you know, they just didn't have the drive or the desire to do the sports that, that I want them to do. And it's, it's not fair for them to sit home while I'm doing these show runs all, yeah. all summer. Right. But I finally landed on the coolest sport mix ever for bite work. I've been wanting to get into bite work and he is a Dutch shepherd Malinois pity German shepherd. Oh, cool. And he just started bite work, uh, last weekend and he's still a little puppy, six months old, but he is so cool too. I'm excited to see him. He's not going to do the regular Frisbee that I 
I do, but I'm going to start branching out into the bite work with him. And, and he's what they call a bull herder. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you, I, I, this, the work I've seen you do with your dogs, it's just incredible. And I have to ask just because of us, Scott sitting up here is like a big Malinois person and I'm sitting up here as a pretty big Border Collie person. Tell us how the Whippet like infiltrates each of those with mixes because both of those mixes are a little bit newer to the sports scene and not everyone should be owning them or can handle them. You know what I mean? So Correct. just tell us a little bit about that because I think I've seen some litter mates to the Malin Whippets or other crosses, like actually doing protection and stuff, right? Like they're advancing in that field at all, somewhat, or am I wrong? Yeah. So Firefly is a repeat ble- breeding. Okay. She's the Mal Whippet. So she has um, a litter on the ground, some siblings who are about two years old. Okay. And I think maybe, maybe going on three, but they're still pretty young, but they um, qualified for a Purine Incredible Dog Challenge this year. And two of her siblings, her brothers, Rollins and Oh my goodness, I can't think of his name right now. But they did um, dock diving. They did the air retrieve, and they they got second and third place at uh, IDC. And they uh, her her older sister holds the indoor AR record. Wow! Uh, at like nine feet, that's you know, amazing. Jumping up high. Yeah, that's amazing. So the athleticism's um, off the charts for the Malinois Whippets. What about like temperament in the house? I mean, I know yours is younger, but what would you kind of say? I mean, compared to the Border Whippet, Flynn, I know they like to chill and <laughs> they hang out. But what would you say comparatively? Yeah. You know, so I do have uh, I have so many. I have five dogs, so I have one purebred Malinois too, <laughs> um, and he's he's crazy. That yeah. that is psycho, right? So yeah. I would not recommend that to an average pet owner. But I and I, I wouldn't recommend any of these sport mixes to the average pet owner. But I will say the Whippet adds adds this. Yeah. Right. So this even is, to the Mal Whippet cross, you still get the mushy gush, huh? Yes. Okay. She, she, it can definitely add some sensitivity. So that's why you want to make sure the breeding that you're looking at, the, the Whippet side is, is kind of like a nasty Whippet. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, is they can handle a little bit of pressure. They can handle, you know, cause if you're trying to do sports and you're trying to do things with a big audience, like you can't have your dog shutting down on you and being scared. Yeah. So you need the, you need the Whippet to be a strong Whippet, yeah. right? Not a dainty and Whippet. I've, I've, <laughs> Exactly. Well, and, and also just body wise, I mean, they, they can be softer in that sense. Like he, I, I wouldn't let him play with, with my Malinois in an open field. Cause I think he would hurt himself. Yeah. Um, and that, that's the difference between him and even my Mal whip, it shows a little bit more resilience. Like if she runs into a fence, you know, yeah. she's going to recover better. Yeah. My border whip it, he's a little bit more sensitive. So I think the Malinois adds a little bit of just, you know, hectic, crazy energy. And the border whippets can be a little bit softer. So you got to be patient with them. You got to use a lot, a lot more positive reinforcement, but you also need to teach them how to handle pressure, teach them how to overcome scary situations. And, you know, that's probably the biggest thing that I see with the border whippets is they, they can be soft, they can be sensitive. And I mean, same with the Mal whippets. Um, And I think the, the most sensitive of them all is actually the Mal, the Mal border collie. Oh yeah. Okay. So let's touch on this because I'm fascinated Mm -hmm. by this. So, yeah, so he's he's very soft, uh, okay. especially with body pressure. And I know his his sibling is actually Kiddo, who okay. uh, placed second place, I think, at Incredible Dog Challenge this year, either second or third. Um, and Kiddo's incredible. Kiddo also does canine entertainment. I did a show run with her in California, and that dog is awesome. And when I heard that Beta, his, her sibling, was for adoption, I jumped on it, and he is awesome. But he is definitely a lot more sensitive than even Flynn or Firefly. And it could be, again, how they were raised a little bit. I mean, he was with a trainer prior, and she she did a lot of great foundation with him, but she's not 
she wasn't doing a ton of competitions and I, yeah. you know, I'm not sure how she trained, but he came with a great foundation, yeah. but, um, he's and him and kiddo are very sensitive to being, uh, caught. Like when we do our dog catches for mm-hmm. Frisbee, they're very sensitive. They don't want to be caught. They are more sensitive to jumping off of our bodies. So it just takes a lot more to teach them like to be confident. Like this is fun. This is exciting. You know, it's okay to jump off of us. Um, and with him, I actually, I don't need to use any tools with him. He's never seen an e-collar. He, and he's super responsive. He, I tell him no. And he's like, I'm, okay. so, I'm sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I offended you, mom. Yeah, yeah. Whereas my Mal Whippet and even Flynn, he's been e-collar conditioned and he, you know, he handles that just a lot different than the Mal uh, border collie. Yeah. So, so I think that's interesting. Th- now I see that's learned helplessness that's going <laughs> on. Right. <laughs> yeah, right? I've, I've e-collared him into this. Oh my God, stop it. Well, it's so fascinating though to me because a lot of people think, oh, mix a dog with drive with a dog with drive and you're just going to get crazy drive. But like the border collies and the mouths, they are touchy. You know what I mean? They're kind of like Ferraris in a certain sense. Scott always describes them as, but the mouths are mm-hmm. Ferraris that can bite. So it's just when you're doing these certain crosses, a lot of the people breeding them are very responsible with breeding them, but they're not for yes. everyone. And these whippy woes that you talk about, it's a real thing. Like sometimes you got to get out the real animal fur to get them tugging and stuff. And you're going to have to bring more to the table as a trainer. And I think sometimes yeah. we see these sports crosses and we're like, oh my God, that's great. That's what I want. It's going to make me a superstar. But there's a learning curve that goes with all of this. And there's a certain level of finesse. And I appreciate you just touching on all of that because I think it does matter for people to be more aware and knowledgeable, you know? Yeah, 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 100% because you can't just take one of these dogs up. You could easily ruin any of them. And you have to really know how to bring the drive out. And once you do and you make it fun, they are they will reward you um, immensely. I mean, he's he's given me everything I could have ever wanted. But in the wrong hands, I mean, shut he'd shut down. And who knows? You know, I was just going to add that, uh, you know, I have a Border Collie and a Malinois and um, they are far more athletic uh when they're young but sometimes they need well quite often they need more time to (laughs) they need more time to mature mentally Mm -hmm. with that confidence and uh, yeah Mm -hmm. if you rush it then you know it's not that you're going to break them but they're not they're never going to have that confidence if they get rushed too quickly and if you can just if you can just be patient and keep building and building then you'll have a, a dog that is really strong you know for whatever it is that you're planning to do Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you are going to go look at Rachel's TikTok and stuff, I just wanted you guys to realize this because she's a very talented trainer and she's working with these different drives and it does take talent to get these dogs to be superstars. So if you're, if you're getting all pumped up and like, I'm getting a Mal or I'm getting a Border Collie or I'm getting this mix, like know that there is a level of finesse and it is kind of like a dance. And I, I appreciate everything you're doing for sports mixes and I'm excited to see where all your dogs head. I'm really I really value you out there in the dog world. So thank you for being a part of it. <laughs> I have one last, one quick question about the Malinois Whippet mix. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that they're, what, maybe a 40-pound dog? Not very big? Oh, she's actually quite big. Uh, she's my biggest dog, I actually think. Um, and the reason why she's so big is I was very nervous about getting a Mal Whippet. I, they, you know, the Mal's don't have a ton of brain. And the whippets have even less brain, yeah. right? So when you're mixing them, it, it can be, you can get a really spacey dog and um, it, you can actually get like low drive with that. So you need to be really careful what mix you're getting. And there's a reason I went with her specific litter. Her first litter mates are proven in just about every sport. Um, and so 
you know, she it was mixed with a, her whippet side is actually racing line whippet, and they have a little percentage of greyhound. Okay, so, so they're a little taller. Is, mm, that's really, bringing some size, yeah, height. Yeah. It's bringing some size, and the reason that the breeder did that is because she is breeding dock dogs. She wants dock big, dock diamond dogs, which right. clearly she's bred. I mean, they're holding world records now. Um, and so when you're breeding dock dogs, you want to add a little bit of size because they get more power off the dock. They get more height, you know, to jump. Uh, so yeah, well, and that also, it makes me happy because Flynn is out jumping, uh, those dogs and he's tiny. He's only like 33 pounds and he's a little baby and he's jumping, he's jumping further than her first siblings off the, the distance, not the height. He can't get the height. Those dogs get, he's just too short. Yeah. You gotta give him some supplements. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Right. No, it's just so fascinating. And so many of these mixes are new and I just, I want everybody who's out there just to not think, Oh, this is the latest fad. Like this takes a specific trainer and specific talents. And I appreciate you touching on all that. Are there any shows coming up um, in 2023 for this summer that if anybody's listening that they might see you at anything you have booked that you can share yet, or you still have your schedule coming together? So the, the schedule definitely will still be coming together. A lot of the shows that get booked are, you know, very, very last minute. You, you yeah. know, you're kind of, you know, yeah. but uh, we are booked for the Minnesota State Fair. That is uh, Labor Day weekend. I think it's Labor Day. It's in uh, the end of August to September. That is the Minnesota State Fair. And we'll probably be making a, a guest appearance at the the State Fair of Texas, okay. uh, which yeah. is in, in Houston. So we, we went there last year. We did a little bit of work with my friend, uh, Kara, she does the show in Texas and I actually brought her one of my rescue dogs and Um, hopefully he'll be performing this year. Awesome. Uh, she adopted him to do handstands. He's a little, he's a little doodle. Yeah. Uh, a Dutch hound poodle mix and he's a little thing, but he does paw stands off of her hand. So I'm hoping to see him in the shows this year. That's awesome. Karen, Brian do awesome work. So if you guys are in they Minnesota do. or you're in Texas or you're passing through, stop and see if you can see Rachel and her awesome herd of however many breeds you have going on. It's great, but <laughs> it, it, there's a certain energy with seeing uh, you know, these dogs in an entertainment venue versus even just like a competition and stuff. So I just really wanted to point to that, that if those are something that you normally um, stop in at, make sure you stop by and see Rachel. Rachel, anything else that we missed or that you want to touch on before we close up here? Oh, no, I just want to thank you guys for having me on the show. It was it was very awesome. Yeah, well, thank you. you so much for what you're doing. And you guys, if you're looking for help with your pet dog in the Chicagoland area, or maybe even some sports stuff, sometimes us trainers like to do a little crossover. Diamonds yep. in the rough. Um, please look her up. Her website link will be in the description. And again, just thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you're doing with Rescue and Foster and everything else. There's not enough people out there doing what you're doing, and you're really making a difference. And every time I see one of those dogs in their new homes, it just makes my heart sing. So thank you so so much for what you're doing. Thank you. All right. Take care, guys. We will see you next week. And in the meantime, keep it quirky. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.